The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasu, your host. I am joined today by Singe Deakins, who is the CEO and founder of Citizen Me. Welcome, Singe. Hi, how are you? Thanks for joining me. You know, it's funny. I've been, my latest podcast episodes have been with a lot of people from the UK. I just noticed that. So uh, you're based in London, right? Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Southwest London. Awesome. Lots of innovation going on over there. Especially around data. Yeah, it's an interesting time, right? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background. So um, my background, I've got a kind of digital innovation background going back kind of a, about two decades, which I feel slightly painful about. But um, so I've got kind of a innovation background, early days, kind of putting newspapers online, help British Airways go online, first booking systems and stuff. Did omni-channel in about 2000, which is kind of way ahead for, for T-Mobile, kind of multiple digital channels, looking at mobile being the center of everything. Uh, and then, then spent about 12 years out in Asia, uh, based out of Singapore, doing lots of mobile internet stuff. So I helped a, a couple of hundred million people get on the internet with the platforms we were, we were uh, building out for telcos, all emerging market. And the big thing there is you can see kind of, you know, the iPhone came through, but the big thing we was the Android devices in emerging markets. And you could see that, you know, really quickly with 20, 50 bucks for a secondhand smartphone, it was going to become pervasive and, you know, you quickly get to billions of people with smartphones. So that, that was the kind of the big switch that we did. Sold my last business to an American private equity business, came back. Well, I was in Singapore for a couple of years after that. And then um, was really looking at kind of what the next big shift and the next big problem that I could help solve. And I had a couple of, my daughters were 10 years younger then, um, and kind of looking at um, what, it's the altruistic thing when you've sold a startup and you kind of think about how you can help the world. And the big thing for me that I can really, I have the skill set to kind of really help is what happens with personal data. And the more you look at the way that the internet and digital world is evolving, it's all should be around people. And the core, the core kind of value, transactional value is then about the data about the people. And if you, you can go into some fairly dystopian kind of end games but if you start mapping stuff out, then it's clear to me that you need to build a, an internet that works for people, which is easy to kind of think about and imagine. But then when you work out the actual mechanics of that, it kind of there are a few things you need to do, which is kind of fairly kind of disruptive and evolution for the internet in, in terms of just where we are at the moment. And also, I think the boundaries are not defined either, right? There's local, state, national governments that try to do regulation. But the internet is ubiquitous and there's no, you know, how do you kind of govern across this major platform, for lack of a better word, in terms of the use of data? Exactly. And and that's one of the biggest issues we have is that we've got kind of the first time we really do have kind of a completely connected citizenship of everyone on the the internet, right? So we're all connected, but all of the regulations are, are kind of a national state level. And then so the, the question is, how do we get to this kind of world where we all have rights 
over our data and the, the way that data is used and obligations with that as well, which is the, the other side of this, which is what what's happening in social media, that if we're going to build a, a global digital citizenship, just in terms of the way that we all behave and the way that we, we innately kind of have rights around our data, we need to change that the way that data is kind of where it's held, the way it's transacted, and then eventually the way it's governed. And the first step is to give us all just a copy of the data that's out there about us. And if, if you, so if I'm in, at the moment, if I'm in Belgium, I have GDPR and I'm happy. If I'm in Botswana, yeah, I don't know. And if I'm in Myanmar, probably not so good. So first step is if we can all give ourselves a copy of our data and enable people to participate with that data, then you have a granular atomic level kind of a participation. And for me, that's the first big step. If we can do that on a way that commercially scales, that's a massive, massive leap forward from where we are. Do you feel that consumers understand the pain point? Do they understand what they're giving away, basically? Much more than they did. Okay. So I kind of came back from Singapore, set up the business actually originally in Singapore, realized I really need to be either in San Francisco or in, in London. I settled in London for a number of reasons, GDPR and kind of the, the attitudes to data here, especially. And the first version of the app we had in 2014 was much more about kind of seeing where your data is and being able to lock it down and go into your deep link into settings in Facebook and shut down sharing of particular types of data and that kind of thing. And we just found that for mass market, it's too much effort. Most people, you know, switch on, people want to switch on an ad blocker and I share data or I block data and that's it. And it's kind of binary and it's almost like an insurance plan. You, it kind of works in the background. It's there. You kind of feel kind of slightly more comfort, right? And from that, we went on this long journey of kind of really understanding the way that people interact with their data, which has given us a really kind of deep insight in terms of what people do and don't want to do with data and where they see the value. But the backdrop to that, especially the last four or five years, there's, there's increasing awareness and increasing sensitivity around data. And there's a knowledge now, which means we're kind of shifting into a kind of a very different space in terms of what people do and don't want done with their data. I mean, hacks were a big thing. When a big company got hacked five years ago, it, was, it made the news. Now it's just an everyday it's thing. People just assume it's going on. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Analytica was big. You know, the, I think I kind of started really bringing it through into the consciousness. Mm-hmm. And I think in the last couple of years, kind of people are, much more aware of what's happening with kind of our data in big silos like Facebook and, and Google and Amazon, but also kind of the fact there's a lot more that goes on that we're not aware of. And that kind of creates a background anxiety. So people aren't quite sure what's happening. And either you have this kind of background irritation or you have just a, you know, people just give up. It's like, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. But- I think I've seen among younger consumers, at least in the States, is that there's a bit of apathy about the fact that, you know, yeah, so everybody has my data and don't necessarily understand the implications. But as you kind of go to the next generation, there's definitely more concern, more awareness, more, you know, maybe activism around trying to protect their own data. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely true. And I think if you look at the tools that different generations use to basically mitigate, for, for older generations, it's much more of an analog kind of switch on, switch off view about things for a younger generation it's using ephemeral data so ephemeral messaging so you just have a tool which suits you in terms of the context but it's actually a digital tool which is helping you manage the way that your your data is being shared and and your privacy and your choice and i think those kind of digital tools are certainly for kind of younger generations really kind of coming through they're just part of the way that the internet works so you know people in my parents generation everything's very scary Yes. And I think many of those people opt out of everything because they don't know. I know my mom does. She doesn't want to you know. It's too late for me to learn and I don't want to participate. I don't know what's going to happen to my data. 
So, and the thing is, I mean, we, the big thing is we need to be able to build services for all of those people. Exactly. Right. So I make it kind of transparent and easy, you know, ideally delightful to interact and participate with data rather than it being this kind of very data centric kind of gray, bad kind of, you know, hackers behind the screen kind of, which is an easy place to go to for journalists. I mean, it's an easy place because it drives. Um, question for you. Can you give us an example of how much data we all throw off, like in the digital world? Do you have any idea of how to kind of put that into perspective for listeners? If you think about it for big corporates, there's a great kind of internet meme about kind of the internet in one minute and how much kind of data is being thrown around. But for large retailers, large organizations, they'll have petabytes of data about their customers, right? And the, the thing we kind of, we, we're sharing data all the time in the background without even realizing it. I mean, you've got, probably got, we all think we have 20 apps on our phone. I think the average is now 60 or 70. And a big chunk of those apps are, are pinging home all the time. So without even thinking about it, you're basically sharing data just by having a smartphone, right? As well as the operating system and everything else. And then any interaction you do with, say, a credit card, with a, with a retailer, any of those interactions at the moment, you're basically sharing huge amounts of data. And then behind the scenes, there are data brokers and companies sharing data between them. So there's, there's this big kind of marketplace worth trillions of dollars, which exists all kind of exchanging our data. And the, the thing at the moment, none of us can participate in that marketplace. Yeah. So let's talk about how you're solving for that. What are you specifically doing? <laughs> We've spent a, lot, kind of, a long time kind of looking at how best to kind of solve that. And the, the clear thing, the feedback we keep getting is, if people are making assumptions about me, then what does that data, what does my data say about me? Which is kind of a data transparency and kind of awesome, almost like a digital mirror. And the second thing is, if my data has got all this value, why don't I get a cut of it? So we built out a personal data store on the edge, where which basically sits in an app on your smartphone. You can collect copies of your data from lots and lots of places around the internet. Uh, we apply a personal AI, which is, sits on the phone for you and basically then surfaces those insights about you so you can understand more about yourself. And then you can also receive kind of offers from organizations to share data. So once you've collected that data and generated your own insights, if you choose to, on a case-by-case -case basis, you can decide whether you want to share anonymized data with big organizations, which for the organization is verified, live, fresh, real data, anonymized in aggregate, incredibly powerful in terms of intelligence. But for the individual, it basically means that you have a real-time ability to transact. And as soon as you share anonymized data, you get immediately paid at the moment into PayPal, Mobile, and other payout mechanisms as well. So there's, there's a kind of an immediate real-time, you're kind of buying money with your data, kind of flipping it around. And that drives kind of massive engagement. So we've got about 350,000 people on the, on the app at the moment, signed up about 4.3 on the app store. And so we're kind of driving this kind of delightful use of data. And the data is kind of under the hood, but it's more about the experience of the insight and the ability to transact. And the, the other big benefit is that instead of just um, transacting data for cash, you can also transact data for, for donation. So for altruistically, you can share data for medical research. So we've got a, a thousand people in a European country with diabetes who are looking at setting up a self-forming data trust. So they can then share data between them, but also decide where they want to, in aggregate, share anonymized data for medical research. So it's kind of, it's a beautiful kind of example of how you can combine kind of economic value with social impact as well. And we often think about those things as having to be very, very different, but there, it's all uses of of data. It's projecting your own personal data for, for value for you. And can you give us an idea of, you know, how much value are they get garnering from selling their data? 
So at the moment on our platform, people are earning up to kind of 20 bucks in a month. And the first market we're in is consumer insights. So we have people, large organizations, uh, which include kind of retailers, pharmaceutical companies, advertising agencies, purchasing those insights in aggregate. We have a number of other kind of monetization models coming in, um, which we'll be rolling out through the next three or four months. So the idea is that kind of our job is to represent citizens with their data and find them ways to do the things that they want with that data. And that, that could be monetization or, or getting better insights or donation or, or whatever. And it's almost like uh, changing the model a bit in the sense that, you know, the clients who are paying for the information tend to dictate rules of engagement. But you're basically saying, look, we represent the citizens and this is how you engage. If you want this data, you got to play by these rules, which is kind of different. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of the way it should be, right? I mean, it's like if you're in the moment, we kind of set the price on the data based on what we can see the market rate being, but that should be dynamic too, right? So if I want to share this data, I'll do it for this price, but I won't share it for any less. It's your data. You should be really be, be able to choose those things. So, and then the other things, because we have the AI in device, there's some really interesting stuff we can do when it comes to things like recommendations. So instead of having a recommender sitting on a Netflix or an Amazon server, I have my personal AI recommender, which looks at my data in device and have my AI running in device. And then we'll be looking at things like areas we're looking at, for instance, you know, household insurance. Instead of, it's a pain, right? Everyone hates kind of re- renewing their insurance. You know you're going to get screwed. You know you have to renew it. So household or auto insurance, you know, ideally I'd basically get three offers which are perfectly matched to all my personal data, lifestyle, spend categories, everything else, eco-awareness, that kind of thing. And I get three offers which are perfect and I just choose one of the offers and everything else is done for me. That's kind of where we should be going, right? Because that's it's managing all those kind of life admin and decision support kind of issues which are kind of onerous for us. It takes a lot of effort. It's a pain to kind of to manage. But if we actually shift all the, the decision-making out to where all that really deep data is, we can provide really, really nice solutions in those, those kind of areas. And it also broadens out the community because the offer, instead of it just being paid surveys or coupons or whatever else, it's a much kind of broader kind of uh, offering. Application. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a huge benefit. I mean, outside of just, you know, obviously monetizing your own data and making some money to create more efficiency in a buying process, such as insurance is, I mean, that would be a dream, right? (laughs) And sure, insurance is one of those, it's weird because no one likes to buy insurance and no one ever wants to use it, but you need to have it. Yes. It's like this, it's a mental like comfort knowing that you have it, but you hate to buy it. Yeah, but there are many other, I mean, things like uh, movie recommendations. If you're pulling in your Netflix here in the UK, you could pull in your BBC iPlayer, your Netflix, your Spotify, your YouTube yep. viewing, and you, you can then kind of even track emotion and mood state across that, that viewing. You can do some really interesting stuff in terms of recommendations. That's very interesting. And then kind of the, the direction of travel for that is then starting to train those algorithms between the actual devices so that we don't even need training data. And there's some really cool tech uh, things like multi-party computation and federated learning, which we can use for that. I mean, federated learning is what Google's using for Flock. So. And it's, very, it's really cool. A big thing over the last six months for us is that we've got a, a number of very large organizations approaching us now asking us to license the tech. So we've got a large US telco. We've got um, a large retailer, large credit card company, large phone manufacturer. And for different reasons, all wanting to shift data out the edge. So we see it as kind of a, it's getting rid of the data in the middle. So the PII, you have zero data in the middle, zero PII data in the middle. It all shifts out to the smartphones or out to the, the individual. 
and as an architecture, it's as well as being way more secure because you'd have to hack individual smartphones basically to get to the data. Each phone, yeah. It's also way more elegant in terms of things like legislation, regulation, because you, you elevate the entire platform above the regulation because any sharing of data is innately consented. Right. Tell me, so they want to license the tech, like a large retailer or another type of client. Is it that they would then kind of brand it as their own in terms of using your technology and saying, okay, my shoppers can join this community and they can opt to what data they can share with that retailer, let's say? Yeah, absolutely. So we've actually built the platform out so that uh, citizenme.com is kind of a, is our working example of edge data, zero data tech. Our kind of end game is really to kind of change the way that data is handled on the internet. And if a very large corporate with 100 million customers wants to shift out, say, a loyalty program with tens of millions of people on it out to the edge, that's part of our mission is basically to shift the data out to the edge and allow people to participate. So you might have two or three apps on your phone, which are all edge data, zero data applications, but you're then in control of where that data sits. And you should be able to port it between those apps. If I want to pull my retail history in and combine it with my psychometric mood state. And then you, there's then this kind of massive plethora of different kind of um, algorithmic outputs you can have on that data locally for you as an individual. And how do clients consume this information? Are there tools that they can use on the platform to visualize the information? We have citizenme.com. If you a client, you can sign up and the outputs are kind of snapshots of data at the moment. So you can you have full graphing, um, kind of full data set for anonymized data. And then moving into kind of more dynamic data visualizations of, of data, especially as we get into longitudinal data. So if you want to correlate very, very different kind of consumer patterns for a large group of people over time, you could correlate shopping behaviors with step count, with mood state, uh, with weather patterns, and Spotify playlists, whatever you choose, right? And then actually start seeing where the interactions are between purchase behaviors for your product across those kind of different customer life journeys, I guess, right? So that those kind of visualizations are quite exciting for us. And that's where we're heading kind of over the next three, six months. It's an always on view of customer, but it's, it's an always on persisted view of customers. And who in the organizations on the client side are, who's buying this? Who's licensing it? What's the target audience? For the licensing of the tech, it's, it tends to be the product strategy teams going into the kind of chief customer officer because it is looking at kind of customer journey mapping, uh, customer lifestyle, customer interaction, customer delight. And that the big driver for this is there's so much regulation coming through, especially in the US. I mean, in, in Europe, we've got DPA coming through next year, which is almost like GDPR 2.0, which is looking at legislating for intermediaries like us. So they'll, they'll become a thing and governed which is great. And then in the US, you've got 35 states, I think, at the moment with different stages of regulation out of 50. So if you're a large organization in the States, you're looking at kind of having a platform to manage kind of data rights. And you've got every state coming up with a new set of legislation. It just becomes impossible to manage, right? Um, And this kind of prevents that because each consumer is deciding what they want to do with their own personal data. Exactly. So all the data that comes through, and even if you have a platform, you can actually enable people to consent to share certain streams of PII directly into your customer data platform, but it's consented at source. And the beautiful thing about that, you can actually share it two ways. So you can share information out of your customer data platform directly with the consumer, let them combine it with other data and share back the insights with you. And it's much more participatory. It's a partnership. It's reciprocal. It's transparent. It's open. It's fresh. It's live. So instead of having a kind of a slightly stagnant data lake in the middle, you're not really sure how good the data is. 
you're getting kind of real-time interaction. So you have kind of real-time digital conversations with customers. I was going to ask, can you actually, like based on a customer's, a consumer's, you know, let's say step count or, or some activity that they've done, could you then ask them direct questions if they choose to opt into it and ask them like... Yeah, so I mean, you can ask people to share kind of step count anonymously. If they choose to, you could ask them to share their aggregated step count, monthly step count into your CDP. So you can st- things like segmentate. Imagine doing segmentation on that kind of multivariate data. You can really properly understand your customers. But if, and then, of course, you can quit asking questions, just another form of data. So another form of data is uploading a photo. But instead of just having unstructured photo, we can do object recognition and obscure faces so you can have thousands of photos of you know what kind of cup do you use for your coffee yeah i was gonna say forget customer journey this is lifetime journey like this is your life basically right yeah and for brands that you you know if you want to share that information with brands that you often interact with and you enjoy interacting with like you know there's a retailer you like interacting with it means you get a much better kind of not just better offers, but you just get a much better experience with that retailer because the, the levels of knowledge are there, but it's transparent. You know that they are the retailer you're sharing the data with. And if at any time you want to stop sharing the data, you just switch it off. Very cool. Congratulations. It's a really timely, I know you've been working on it for a while, but it seems like the time is right now for you know clients to look at a different model in terms of data management, understanding consumers and customers a lot better. And I think COVID over the last year has really just accelerated at really sharper minds because we know we're moving into a whole new environment now. It's kind of post-COVID, what is the new normal? But what does that really mean? And we know that digital acceleration, we've gone on kind of 10 years in a year, right? So we're just seeing a, a massive change in the market at the moment. For sure. And I think to the other point, like COVID has accelerated obviously digital marketing and and digital behavior, but it also, there's no playbook for the future. And so this, to your point, what's the new normal? I don't know if we will ever know what the new normal is and if we'll ever just be not static, but kind of find that footing again for another couple of years. So I think being able to understand consumers holistically is really helpful and obviously with their consent. And it's the, the really fascinating thing for me is when you go beyond that and you start looking at kind of if people really can participate with their data. I mean, yeah. so COVID was a change, right, in terms of how people are part- how people are interacting. But if we can enable people to participate, will that have an impact on the way that things like social networks are run, right? Because if you can bring some civility into it and basically enable people to participate, choose to be anonymous or share kind of with kind of an ID, for instance, in particular context, it gives you much more kind of granularity and, and much more kind of fluidity in terms of the way that those, because they're kind of civic environments, right? They're kind of where people collect together. And you could enable kind of environments where people choose to only kind of engage where there's a degree of pseudonymity, for example. So you could actually kind of change the way that civility works on the internet, for more on a better word, by enabling that kind of collective participation, I think, rather than it being kind of a silo where these are the rules and you have to stick to them. And so Twitter is different to Facebook. Yeah. And that's kind of what we, and that's really intriguing because that's, we have no idea about how that might play out. Yeah. I love the word civility and its actual role in society. And I, and I think that if we can bring some of that back, that would be fantastic as well. Yeah, I think it, it can happen. I'm optimistic. I mean, I've got to be a techno optimist, right? So. Well, we kind of have to be. Otherwise, I think we'll all be depressed all the time. <laughs> what choice is there? Let me ask you this. So when you think about you know the future where there's no cookies and you know, there's more regulation around data. How does your business model help in a cookie-less world? 
That's a really good question. We, I mean, cookies are going to disappear, and they're kind of like uh, such a legacy. I mean, they're twenty years old, right? I mean, they kind of they seem like a really good idea at the time. We just drop some code on a device, and and it's kind of their time. I think has been over for you know at least five or six years. I mean, look at I mean, Google Flock was in development for quite a while, so I think everyone could see this coming. The premise behind things like kind of you know IDFA and kind of um, and tracking on devices and pixels and everything else is the fact that you have all the data in the core and everyone else is around the edge of your core and you have to pull the data in and then kind of uh, process it in the core and then kind of push out some sort of insight or some personalized ad or whatever else, right? If you shift everything out to the edge, you just don't need to do that because you run algorithms on the edge. I mean, we could run advertising on device where you have your local algo is just choosing the advertising for you. And then we go a bit old school where the, the product, the brand, the product creator, the offering creator has to come up with something which is going to be relevant for you, right? And you let you, the local AI is local personalization out on the edge. And that's kind of the world I think we're, we're rapidly moving into. I mean, you see that with Flock, with, with cohorts on the edge is kind of a very first stage of that. But it is moving everything out to device. And then you have individuals basically much, have much more control over the stuff that they're actually seeing and, and what they're interacting with. So rather than it being a kind of one size fits all, drop a cookie, <laughs> push out some personalization, which we all know is crap because I don't want to see the same sofa I just bought a month ago. So we all know that that stuff is broken, right? So I, know, I think the tech we're seeing coming through, I mean, Apple's pushing stuff on the edge. I mean, that massively, way, way better than Google. Amazon's actually a bit of a laggard, you know? They're starting to pick up some negative press now in terms of kind of ad tech and things because they've kind of been under the radar, but they make a large chunk of money from, from advertising. So I think... Yeah, the change in the ecosystem pushing out to the edge will be a, a massive change over the next four or five years. It feels as if marketers, brand managers will have to be even more creative, more thoughtful about how they present ads and who they present it to, because it, it does feel like the next level of personalization is arriving as a result of having more data more and then the consumer opting in to share some more details about themselves. Yeah, and that's really interesting because there's, there's this fashion at the moment to move away from personalization because everyone knows how bad ad tech has been to move back back to brand voice and building brand. And I think, which is fantastic, you have to look at both. If you can do brand building and kind of build brand voice, but also do personalization on the edge, that's kind of where you want to be. You, you, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a kind of more kind of holistic view of the way that we do in marketing communications and looking at being as, as I say, kind of a conversation back and forth. I mean, there's a guy called Doc Searles who wrote about this kind of 20 years ago about markets being conversations. And we're, I think we're at the point where we can kind of do that because we do actually have the tech. We've got the tech, you know, we've got amazingly fast computers sitting in our pockets or, you know, with us all the time. Fantastic. Well, Sinj, thank you so much for joining me today. I loved our conversation. And if people want to learn more about you and your product, where should they go? I just go to citizenme.com where we just raised a chunk of money, which is should be announced in the next few days. Congratulations. Rapidly revamping our website at the moment. You go to citizenme.com um, and then, yeah, feel free to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much. Let's keep in touch and I'd love to have you back on in, let's say, 12 months to see and learn about all your progress you've made. That'd be awesome, Sim. Thank you. Thank you. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling 
programming and hosting services or consultation, we are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.